Welcome to Fortress on a Hill. I'm Henry. I'm Danny. I'm Kagan. We're three leftist veterans that aim to expose the reality of the U.S. military's multiple wars abroad and to illuminate the damage military service does to Americans. American presidents throughout U.S. history have used American military and diplomatic power to force regime change of democratically elected governments around the world. Most veterans come from families vested in prior service, and American generals choose their own, ensuring diversity of thought never interferes with American warmongering. How can we stand by and do nothing while our military kills and destroys lives the world over, while telling Americans that all this death and destruction protects them from terrorists when nothing could be more false? Fortress on a Hill aims to change that. Kyle Anzalone, welcome to Fortress on a Hill. Thank you for taking the time to come chat with me. Yeah, happy to be on. I've uh, listened to the show on and off through the years. You know, you get more time when you're driving around more, but I do listen. And so it was uh, nice, you know, for the first time I have a face to match with the the voice that I've heard uh, quite a few times. And uh, you and, and Danny and Keegan do a great job. And I've uh, I've enjoyed especially your breakdown on Joe Biden's foreign policy. Uh, that was probably about a year ago, but that that I really enjoyed that show. So it, really happy to be on today. Yeah, yeah, totally. Glad to glad to have you. Um, just to give people a little bit of, of background for you, uh, you are uh, the news editor of the Libertarian Institute. You're an assistant editor at antiwar.com. And uh, most, most prevalently for our discussion today, you are the co-host of Conflicts of Interest with uh, Will Porter, also of the Libertarian Institute. So I wanted to talk to you about your, your podcast a little bit. Can you tell me... You know, kind of how did you get started, what uh, what uh, your overall goals were for it, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I started doing the news roundup in, like, June of 2016 on a blog I had at the time. And then, like, in November of that year, uh, that uh, I, I moved that over to the Libertarian Institute. And I don't know, like, a year later, I got the official title of news editor. But that's kind of why I do as news editor of the Libertarian Institute. And then, uh, you know, doing that, like, I had various people invite me on podcasts and stuff like that. And I, I kind of enjoyed it. And also, you know, when you're writing about these kind of things and reading the news all day, uh, you, you need somebody to, you know, talk about this stuff too but you know at the same time like the the people you live with don't just want to hear you yell about the wars all day like that's that's not what they want to do and also like you don't want to build all of your relationships on that either and so I started doing the show uh kind of just because I like has a lot of stuff I wanted to say and needed somebody to say it to and you know even if, if only 100 people are listening to the show or whatever in the first few months like you know, people were listening to me talking about the things I wanted to talk about. And uh, the original show is foreign policy focus. I started that in February of 2017, uh, mostly covered like serious stuff and in Russiagate really heavy in the first couple of years. Uh, but over time, it morphed into, you know, what like conflicts of interest is now where I talk about, you know, world news in general. Uh, I am a libertarian. So like some of it's like a little bit libertarian interest topics. Uh, uh, if it's like, you know, more uh, even I think it's wider ranging, but drug war stuff like that, police militarization, I do get into on the show. But 95% of the coverage is just on the different war wars going on the, around the world and geopolitics. And I mean, that's what interests me. That's why I cover in my news roundup. That's what I, uh, you know, I, I do the viewpoints at antiwar.com. And so reading all those articles all the time, uh, you know, Danny Shershin is, is such a prolific writer. And I read, I, I mean, hundreds of his articles and uh, a lot of, you know, why I learned and talk about on the show is, uh, you know, stuff like I learned in part from Danny, from uh, Scott Horton, Ray McGovern, all these great people uh, who I, you know, read articles of multiple times a week. And that's why I tried to still down it and talk about my show, because I know there are some people who 
don't want to read a bunch of news stories from Reuters every day and and pick out, you know, the truth from the government spin, um, you know, because the only reason anybody would ever expand, uh, uh, oppose expanding the draft to women, by the way, is because of traditional gender roles. You know, nobody would just have a general opposition to the draft or anything like that. And that's the way like Reuters and all these mainstream news outlets have been reporting all week. And so reading that stuff could get really tedious. And I thought I'd do a show uh, just kind of talking about what's going on and breaking it down and uh you know then like putting you know my anti-war mainly but also libertarian uh you know take on these issues and trying to like break down and break out the propaganda and all that so that's that's kind of my show that's I do. Uh, most people just listen to it. So I try to make it very friendly to the audio only audience. But I do uh, a video show that goes up on YouTube. And uh, with conflicts of interest, I always have like the articles uh, that I'm doing. And, and like, I, I scroll through them. Sometimes if it's necessary maps or stuff like that, like when I'm trying to explain what the Taiwanese air defense identification zone is versus the Taiwanese airspace, you know, video does help with that. No matter how I explain like, oh, you know, the air defense identification zone kind of goes midway between Taiwan, and the Philippines, that, you know, doesn't help anybody, you know, understand anything. Uh, sometimes, you know, you read these stories in even national newspapers and they're like, that's about the distance from, I don't know, like Baltimore to New York City. And it's like, if if you haven't lived on the East Coast, that doesn't mean anything to you, right? And it, it's just as unrelatable, like when I try to say that about Taiwan, the Philippines. So like, it, it does help to have the video, but I, I do make it again, very audio friendly. And that's the way most people listen. So yeah, at, at least three days a week, I do shows breaking down the, the news, uh, uh, again, mostly foreign policy stuff. Yeah, I, I I fit into that that audio only grouping, and it it has you've done a, a really good job with with the audio and making um, the vast majority of the content really accessible uh, from that way. Um, I, I also really appreciate that you have a show that talks a little more of the um, everyday sludge in the military industrial complex. You know that that. When, when Scott does shows, he does shows on things that are, you know, that, that stuff that he's studied for a long time, but in terms of his guests and everything, that sometimes it can be overwhelming taking in all of that information at once. And Scott's really good at it, but he just does it very quickly. But with, with your guys' show that you're able to get more into the meat and potatoes of what people see every day, you know, your average Reuters article and the crap that, that's in it, the lines that, that, people, that people continually put out there without uh, qualification, without trying to question it in any way. Um, and I think that's a really good thing. I know that, that um, you know, I'm more than a few years into to being, uh, being anti-war, um, but, but still having, talking about those different issues and because there's so many of them that um, deal with so many of the same, same subjects, but it's not always accessible. Um, so, um, Today, you, you and I, we talked about, we were going to talk about a recent piece from the New York Times about a drone strike cell during the war with ISIS, part of uh, Operation Inherent Resolve, um, which was the main uh, operation that they, the umbrella for all of their activities against ISIS when that, that part was going on. And this specific strike cell was actually populated by members of Delta Force, of, of the Tier 1 um, special operations guys that we send to do what, what, what the American mil militarism deems the, the worst of the worst, the, the, the guys that absolutely have to die or they're going to come to uh, the American homeland and cause horror, horror un untold, um, or, or so we're told. Um, so, but specifically about this particular story, that there that it got so bad with this particular strike cell in terms of their use of drone strikes that other people, other three-letter agency people that were affiliated with this cell, Air Force Intelligence, um, I want to say there was some CIA um, people and uh, among others that cried foul that said that these guys were bombing. Um, indiscriminately, they were using the uh, the umbrella of self-defense 
to say that many of their strikes were in actual defense of proxy forces or other American forces that were on the ground when that wasn't true at all. They would get into arguments with uh, some of the um, other cell people that weren't with, with Delta trying to saying that kids that were running green berets i believe right they were u.s they were u.s army green berets uh and and the way i understood it in the article was that you know this task force was kind of made up of the delta force which was calling in the stripes and then the berets which were uh training and more working along with the kurds Uh, although it wasn't clear to me which ones. And the only reason I, I want to bring this up and to mention this at the start, if you go uh, to the very first article that myself and Will Porter wrote uh, together, it's at the Libertarian Institute and it's on civilian casualties in Mosul. And we actually had a Green Beret taught to us about what he felt like was a, a lot of civilian casualties. And, you know, he, he, he didn't come forward to us and, and was like, you know, they're willingly just massacred current civilians for no reason or anything like that but he was like yeah they're killing a lot of civilians in this fighting and so when i read this article that that's the context that i read it in something i already knew that they were just like at this time just dropping bombs all over the place in iraq and syria uh but you know that that was a little bit of interesting context and like i get a little bit more of a fuller picture now of what's going on because you know they really do get statements in this article from from people who were involved in just how horrific all this was but yeah go ahead sorry to jump in no no i um i had i noted it a little bit later but the they had talked about how that the cell that the delta guys in the cell were divided between working in the cell and in two other missions on the ground there one was that they had embedded with certain forces and like what you're talking about with the with the green berets um and then they also their third thing was that they they were part of a if needed assault force to go after high value targets and that it didn't say this in the article but i got the impression that all those that those guys whether they were you know, Green Berets or Delta, and I guess for our purposes, it really doesn't make a difference, which um, that um, that if they're rotating between all these three missions, how in the world can the guys actually get some experience in terms of what's actually supposed to be going on? And that's you know, assuming for a minute we're okay with the strikes and that we, okay, if you follow the rules, fine, but they did not do that, that at all. And we know from, from hardened experience that drone most drone strikes end up killing civilians i don't even know what it, in terms of the, of the numbers and all those, those kind of things but like you mentioned about the offensive in, in mosul and the overall war in isis that the discrepancy between what the american what we've what the american government has been willing to admit and what's actually happening on the ground was huge like the the air wars tracking for casualties during the isis offensive was far and away i want to say the one i saw this morning was like they had somewhere between like seven thousand and nine thousand casualties where the headquarters for operation inherent resolve was only admitting about like 1400 so we're talking about like a 75 to maybe 85 percent difference in what we're actually even tracking here and these are on strikes that are doing what they say is the right thing not on ones that, that these guys are fucking with and and trying to use as um self-defense so just to give a little a little more context here um quote the unit directed airstrikes and drone fire missiles crowds and residential buildings quote killing people who had no role in the conflict farmers trying to harvest children in the streets families fleeing fighting uh and villagers sheltering in buildings um so what the you know a couple of the different things that they did here to make it seem like the strikes that they were carrying out were legitimate that they figured out early in their time there and of course this this strike cell was going from like it was like 2014 to 2019 i think something like that so mm-hmm. it was a, a, a number a number of years so we can't say this for everybody every delta person or green beret that worked in this in this spot but they they weaponized the concept of self-defense to allow them to make strikes that otherwise they would have had no ability to actually defend, to actually legitimize it in any other way. Um, and you had lots of these instances. I'm going to read a few of them uh, here in a minute. 
the the next thing that's really really disturbing and i don't even know how they were able to convince the drone operators to do this but at certain points they told the drone operators to turn the cameras away from where they were striking that most drone units they want to have the cameras on the strike because everything gets recorded and they can go back later and they can look at what happened by turning the cameras away they were deliberately choosing to not gather evidence as to what that strike actually could end up causing. Um, they were arguing with some of the intelligence staff about whether the people they saw in the drone footage was fighters or children or old people. And then the third part, and this goes into the overall special operations community, but especially prevalent here, is a manufactured military-driven lack of empathy. So, Here's some examples for you. We got uh, three men, all with canvas bags, working in an olive grove near the city of, I never know how to pronounce this one, uh, Membij, M-A-M-B-I-J, in the fall of 2016. The men had no weapons and were not near any fighting, but the strike in cell insisted they must be enemy, enemy fighters and killed them with a missile. In early March 2018, uh, Talon Anvil, that's the name of this unit, the strike cell we're talking about, sent a predator drone over a Syrian farming town called Kamara, and the operator claimed that all civilians had fled and that anyone left in the area was a legitimate target. A drone dropped a 500-pound bomb on a house, and when the smoke cleared, the infrared cameras showed women and children staggering out of the partially collapsed building, some missing limbs, some dragging the dead along with them. Um, at least 23 died in that particular strike, with many more wounded. And then in the U.S. back attack on Raqqa, which was the largest city, Syrian city held by ISIS in June 2017, civilians sought to flee the fighting and boarded makeshift ferries to cross the Euphrates River. The cell ordered strikes that hit multiple boats, killing at least 30 civilians whose bodies drifted away in the green water. So that just kind of gives you an idea of, of what we're really talking about here, about some of the the, the choices that they made. Um, Kyle, I'll let you go ahead and jump in, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, none of reading none of this article surprised me because, you know, I, I covered all this throughout, you, you know, 2017, 2018 in particular uh, on my old foreign policy focus show. And I remember there's this uh, this town in Syria on the Euphrates River, I think it's called Tabika or something around that. It, it holds the dam that creates Lake Assad. So, you know, it's pretty easy to find on a map. Anyways, it, it was one of the more significant battles going on because it was along the Euphrates River, which meant that, you know, that this was somewhat of a dividing line between the like what Assad's forces were trying to take versus what American bad forces were trying to take on the ground. So there were some complications there. But uh, like the Assad forces had like pushed close to the town and that was like pushing all the ISIS fighters in. And so that, that was causing the people to want to flee. But the U.S. was dropping uh, leaflets over that, that side of the city saying that if you try to flee across the river, we'll bomb you. Right. Because they're, uh, uh, you know, ostensibly afraid that ISIS fighters are going to come across. And so, uh, I mean, I, you know, just putting the, the people in the, of that area in the worst possible position where what do you do? Like hope the ISIS ISIS fighters don't kill you hope like you know the Assad or the Russians don't carry out an airstrike and kill you and what the Americans are saying that if you try to flee we're gonna bomb you and that's you know that like there's no option to go across the river which was the, the you know the way out is just horrific so you know all these stories are are not like super surprising for you know again people watching but you know the New York Times reporting, I, I do think, gives a lot of important details. One is they point out the role of General Townsend, who's now overheading AFRICOM, but he was the head of this war. And they point out that the strikes really uh, had a major uptick once he took command. And so, you know, something uh, to just remember, and uh, back when Trump took uh, the you know power uh, office in 2017, the U.S. was carrying out tons of airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. 
And now when we look back on it, you know, we talk about the uptake of strikes uh, during Trump and, you know, there is truth to that definitely. And, you know, him and mass are talking about the annihilation policy and everything like that. But, you know, this article shows that it's definitely important to look lower down the totem pole and see who who these people are that are actually implementing the strategy in Iraq and Syria, which was General Townsend. And the reason that it's really important to know that isn't, you know, my like attempting to absolve Trump of, you know, any war crimes committed in Syria, but because this, this lunatic is now head of AFRICOM. And so if they were able to get away with waging a war like this in Syria, where, you know, for everything else, the, the government really wasn't blocking out like the, the internet that much. So there, there were like videos uploaded of, you know, Syrian airstrikes being carried out, American airstrikes being carried out. Uh, there were English speaking reporters, uh, of course, you know, the U S had waged war in Iraq. And so, uh, great reporters like, you know, uh, Patrick Coburn and Robert Fisk like had sources in this area, you know, but that doesn't exist as much in Africa. And so, you know, if we're talking about like what's happening in Niger or the the rest of the shell or uh, Somalia or anything like that, you know, this is the guy that's now in charge of those wars. So how much do you think we're, you know, getting the truth on it and how much less likely are we to ever get the truth uh, to come out? Because so much less is known now about what's happening. The um, yeah, the movement by General Townsend to downgrade who was the uh, the uh, approving commander for airstrikes was a was a horrific choice on on their part, and especially in this that we can really see it for what it is. They talk about the um, you know senior senior Delta Force guys, you know E seven Sergeant First Classes, who are making the choices that were previously made at uh you know during during obama's what was it drone tuesday or whatever that they where they figured out who they were going to actually shoot but at the very least in that at least there was some there was some oversight you know i don't know how good the oversight was but at least it was that this wasn't we weren't getting so downgraded to where guys could for uh, however long they did pretend that um offensive strikes were in fact uh, defensive but those guys, they they don't have. I mean, they're 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 exceptionally good at what they do. Which I, I wanted to to make sure I included a phrase that I remember from a kid when I when Black Hawk Down was marketing all that special operations stuff and Delta stuff. And I remember they said that that controlled calculated killing. That's what Delta Force was trained to trained to do is that they were to be people that utilize controlled calculated killing that's exactly what this is how in the world they thought that guys that are you know heavy hitters they're the they're the really tough most trained guys why did they think that these guys would be willing to observe the actual rules when they just came from a raid of whatever kind with people actually you know getting hurt and having their own reasons to say yeah we're gonna bomb the shit out of of these guys right well, and, you know, we, we do live in a world with like Osama bin Laden and our formerly bin Laden and bed daddy and, you yeah, know, yeah. like absolutely horrific people. Right. And so, you know, well, there's a lot of conversation to have. And while I why I am anti-war and everything like that. But I mean, as somebody kills bad daddy, like that doesn't make the world a worse place or anything like that. And so I think when you give people that justification on on that kind of level and train them to do that but now you're saying like go wage a counterinsurgency that's uh entirely different business and and nobody understands that really you know it's just all the global war on terror and so what's the difference between trying to like you know kill some kill bad daddy or uh bin laden in a compound or somewhere in rule uh idlib versus trying to like liberate raqqa from a bunch of uh conscripts in largely syrian insurgents i mean there were other you know there there were uyghurs from china and people around the middle east veterans of al-qaeda and iraq but a lot of the people that were fighting were just you know the local arab syrians uh sunni arab yeah. syrians or you know, some of them didn't have a choice you 
know what I mean? Like ISIS, you, you know, you either went with them or you died if you were a young male in some cases. And so, you know, the, we're talking about really kind of different military campaigns, but we have the same people running them. And, uh, you know, for some respect, you should expect this kind of thing to happen. Our podcast is supported in a few different ways. First, there's Patreon, where we're blessed to have an array of wonderful supporters, helping the guys and I pay for some of the podcast's expenses. Those who contribute $10 a month or more will be mentioned right here as an honorary producer, helping keep you, our listeners, stocked with new episodes. But you don't have to contribute $10 a month to help us. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help keep us going paying for hosting and storage fees, transcribing old and new episodes, promoting and expanding the podcast, and more I'm sure I can't think of at the moment. So let's bring out our honorary producers, and they are Will Arends, Fahim Shirazi, James Obar, Adam Bellows, Eric Phillips, Paul Appel, Julie Dupree, Thomas Benson, Janet Hansen, Tristan Oliver, Daniel Fleming, Michael Karen, Zach H., Ren Jacob, Howard Reynolds, Why I Am Anti-War Podcast, Scott Spaulding, Kenneth Cordasco, Korgoth, and the Status Quo Podcast. Your contributions are wonderfully helpful to us. Thank you so much. However, if Patreon isn't your style... You can contribute directly to us through PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Fortress on a Hill. Or please check out our awesome store on Spreadshirt.com for some great Fortress merch. The link is in the show notes. And now, let's get back to the podcast. Absolutely. It absolutely should be expected. And it... Uh... It goes back to me talking about the the different missions that they were sending Delta guys on while they were in country, you know, that this is, you know, the strike cell is certainly more counterterrorism now than counter counterinsurgency. Um, but that they were going back and forth between those different missions on the same deployment going from, okay, we're going to go do this raid here. Okay. I need to send three guys to go be embedded with the SDF over in this town. And that, how do you how do you get any parity on knowing that these guys are going to act in the way that you're supposed to as far as soldiers go, but you send them in between missions and they have no ability to really get acclimated to it, and especially when they when they take guys like Delta, like I said about the control calculated killing, guys like Delta, and funnel them into something that is supposed to have, quote unquote. Uh, humanitarian controls, humanitarian safeties and protections. How in the, there's, there's, it's not even farcical anymore. It's just fucking real. It's just, you know, the, I'm sorry by, by losing my words here for a second. Um, I wanted to read uh, a couple quick quotes from a new article uh, by Patrick Martin at the World Socialist website. And he lists, he listed some of the most horrific bombing campaigns that we know of historically or ones that he had, he had mentioned. And I want to read through them just a little bit of comparison. So the first one is, uh, Guernica. It was, a this best town was laid to waste by Italian and German bombers on April 26, 1937 at the request of Francisco Franco, leader of the fascist uprising against the Spanish Republic bombs rained down for nearly four hours, killing, uh, just under 1,700 men, women, and children. It was the first test of the new Luftwaffe tactic of saturation terror bombing, soon to be taken up in both sides of World War II. Um, the next one is Ladis. I think I'm saying it right. Uh, this Czech village was destroyed by the Nazis in 1942. Uh, this one was in reprisal for the assassination of Reinhard Heydrich, the Reich protector of Bohemia and Morovia uh, by Czech partisans. Under orders from Hitler and Heinrich Him uh, Himmler, German forces surrounded the village, killed every male inhabitant 15 years and older, and deported all the women and children to concentration camps. A total of 173 men and boys were shot. Some of the women survived years of labor, but 
82 children were gassed within weeks at the Chelmano extermination camp. Every building in the village was demolished, demolished and the land plowed over. And the last one, some one that will be much more familiar, I'm sure, to your listeners and our listeners, is about Mylai, um, or excuse me, Mylai. Uh, this is the U.S. military designation for Songmi Village, the site of the most infamous U.S. massacre in the Vietnam War. A force commanded by Lieutenant William Calley surrounded the village on March 16, 1968, and began systematic, systematically killing more than 500 men, women, and children. Um, some women were gang raped and then bayoneted, um, and only Callie was ever tried, and he ended up not serving very really any time at all, and said he was just following orders. So I, I really like that Patrick included that in his piece that the you know and and, and granted we 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 don't have the confirmation of the same types of numbers that he's talking about from these historical points, but we know that it was the same sentiment, and especially them talking about back in what happened with Hitler that killing every male inhabitant 15 years and older and deporting all the women and children. Where have we heard about that before? Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, there are, if you're just looking like kind of roughly at numbers, I mean, there are instances in Syria where I think at one point they they hit a building where they said there was like an ISIS sniper on the second and fourth floor, and there was a hundred something civilians on the bottom. And of course, they claim secondary explosions within the building caused the building to collapse. Our, our 500 pound bomb had absolutely nothing to do with it. But, you know, there it's not questioned that. 100 plus civilians were killed there. Uh, there's, uh, I, I believe, a case, I think it's 40 to 50 that were killed in a mosque complex that the, U, the U.S. analogous bombing, I think they maybe even till the end held on to that. Oh, you know, we think there might have been like some Al Qaeda or ISIS meeting happening in the shed out back or something like that. Uh, but again, there, there's no dispute that, you know, uh, dozens of, of civilians were killed or I, I mean, you know, this changes the, the subject a little bit, but you know, Yemen, there's you know no dispute that the Saudis killed a 150 plus civilians in the funeral bombing and i think that was october of 2018 in, in the middle of sanaa the capital of yemen uh, I, I mean these kind of war crimes like are happening it's you know the the looking at the historical stuff is great but like it, it does happen all the time in the u.s or at the very least you know our proxy princes are, are more than responsible for it so I wanted to take a minute and talk about this, this, the stretching of this notion of self-defense as a, as a concept that I, 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 when looking at how we've been behaving, how, how American foreign policy has been behaving towards um, Syrian and Iraqi militias and, and calling them self-defense strikes, saying that these strikes are, are, are in self-defense without giving any backing as to saying how they're able to justify that and the i feel like that this this whole thing with this talon anvil unit um that it 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 really they're really trying as hard as they can to twist up for people the basic notion of what self-defense is that it that it that it's not that it we, we it has to be it has to be def uh, the concept the you know what what situation that you're dealing with it has to be defended. You can't just simply say it was self-defense and everyone moves on. But that's what they want people to do. They want people to hear self-defense and, and to um, stop uh, stop asking questions. I also see it as connected to the choice by U.S. forces to not take prisoners during the ISIS offensive, that they would simply give them over to whatever Iraqi or Syrian proxies they had there, and whether that person was tortured, tortured to death, used in other horrific acts that, that didn't involve, specifically involve physical violence, that all of this, I, I don't see how, if I was, was still in the military, how I would be able to coalesce my troops around the actual rules and ideas they're supposed to follow because it's back and forth so much. And, you, and, and at, at a certain point, they're not just denying what they're doing, they're denying the, the English language as well. Yeah, no, I, I mean, there, there's so much there. Like with the, the taking captives part, uh, I, again, you know, there, there is a, a difference, like not that it was a great choice ever to be an ISIS 
this fighter but you know that life or death sometimes that's what you got to do yeah yeah and then the u.s captures you and hands you over to the iraqi government where a court sends you and 20 other people to death with you know a swing of the gavel or i don't know maybe it's different in islamic court and americanizing it too much but you know like they, they were they were doing that like even with uh women even wives uh, of iraqi fighters were sentenced in groups of you know i i think 10 or more at times to, to death you know and everything like that and the, there wasn't like no questions or you know just kind of shrubs the shoulder and like i mean and, and by the way those prison camps like the i'll I don't know how to say H O L uh, in Syria. There, there's thousands of women and formerly children. Some of them have literally grown up in this prison camp, where the only like kind of instruction is you know kind of coming from the the wives of the you know former like higher ranking ISIS fighters. And by the way, they all report that the way you know it kind of works in the the prison camp there is if you you know you want like decent stuff, you have to like you know, please sexually somebody. And, you know, the, the, that, I mean, that happens in refugee camps all over the world. Right. But, it, you know, in this one, there, there's, you know, women and children reporting sexual abuse and all that pretty rampantly. And so uh, I, I mean, like, it, it's absolutely horrific, you know, what, what's all going on in Syria, by the way, our uh, SDF partners, the Syrian Democrat forces, the Kurds were backing on the ground are conscripting or at least there are parents of, of, you know, they're going to the UN offices within Syria and protesting, saying that the SDF came by and kidnapped their 15-year-old daughter to go fight in the American, uh, you know, led war and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, even when we're not looking at directly, you know, what the U.S. has been doing, our, our what our partners have been doing had there have been absolutely horrific. And I, I mean. You know, from from talking to some people who were, you know, working with the Kurds in Iraq and Syria, you know, they were saying that they particularly treat the Yazidi people really bad uh, and are, are extremely racist against them. And so everybody, you know, in the U.S. mainstream media pretends that we have these great like Islamic or yeah, Islamic Kurdish fighters who are out there. And these are like good Western oriented people who let their women fight. And it, it's just it's not the case at all it's just uh, it's all disgusting um sorry if i got too much away from the point that you were trying to make there no no yeah no i appreciate you you filling in that in there was actually a couple details there that i didn't i didn't know about um but know that the 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 entirety of our of our strategy of trying to call everybody fighters and to not look at mitigating factors for people who are simply trying to stay alive you know, this, this, this isn't a, you know, I get to pick the terrorist group of the week that I really want to be a part of. This is people choosing whether under threat of death or just hungry mouths, what are they going to do? Um, and it, and, and oh, and, and not to make like too much of the, the ISIS villains and everything like that. Cause I think, you know, some of this was exaggerated, but you know, they were like burning people alive and stuff yeah. like that too. Like, you know, it wasn't just like you get a bullet in the head. It's, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna burn you alive. And so that might, uh, but uh, the other thing I was, I, I remember what I was going to mention is, you know, just looking at kind of like the U S where it's as simple as a cop saying like, Oh, you know, his hand was near his waistband or I saw something in his waistband or, you know, I got my big black uh, iPhone with an OtterBots on it. And boy, doesn't that look like a gun if I'm running away from a cop and all these kind of markers are as simple as, you know, the cops in the U S need to declare self-defense. Well, imagine if it's, you know, drone video, is what they're using then who and, and and at least you know in the u.s not that there's really justice for cops or anything but when the cops shoot somebody they do go over and look in syria if you drop a drone strike on them i mean you never really know if it was a cane or a rifle right Nope. And and nobody is really going to go through and try to discern. And then, you know, if, if you do it, and I'm sure you've gotten enough of this yourself, it, oh, then you're sticking up for the ISIS fires and you're trying to cover for the terrorists and all this kind of stuff. And uh, like, I am not, you know, questioning that there are bad things that, you know, uh, people in that ISIS did in Syria, but, you know, that that doesn't justify just carpet bombing civilians at will. No, no, there's there's nothing about that that is should be wholesale slaughter of a people because they they make those kind of choices. Um, 
And no, I'm really glad that you mentioned. I had made a note. I can't find it at the moment, but the about the about the domestic and police police comparison here that the that it it's moving so far beyond any kind of reality that they can point to um, to say this is this is the reason that we're that we're doing this and um, but like you said is that the and Townsend even you know they. Uh, was it Townsend or General Votel? Uh, I can't remember. But talking about, like you said, is that there, there, no one goes. No one goes to these places. No one goes to these drone strikes and looks for bodies and looks for anything, looks for weapons to determine if that, if that was actually happening. So every time that they bring up stuff like this, they can spin a fiction about exactly how successful it's being. And then we just get back into we're, we're fighting for attrition statistics over anything else. And that, you know, we're back into to, uh, like we're fighting in Vietnam. And by the more bad guys that we kill says that we're winning. But that's not at all the case of what we're dealing with here. I guess the, the one small difference, I, I think, in Syria versus Vietnam is rather than, you know, focusing on just how many they were killing, they're really just trying to color in the map. I mean, sure. that was the whole go to, to erase ISIS from them to color in the American side. And that that's what they're trying to do. And there wasn't that that would, when that's the top priority, then, you know, I, again, what, you know, I, I don't want to be the person that has to decide what happens when there's like an ISIS sniper in, in, you know, the, a building and there's also civilians in those buildings. Sure. But, you know, I don't think the United States should be waging that air war uh, across the world. You, you know, let, let the Syrian people figure out. And, it, you know, if you kind of look at what happened during the Syrian war, uh, Assad cut far more deals with the U S to, you know, move people out of different areas rather than, you know, dropping like, indiscriminate bombs all over them and stuff like that not that Assad didn't kill a lot of civilians too but I, I do think that when you're talking about local actors sometimes they you know Assad realizes that he has to like you know not be so indiscriminate that he destroys his own country uh completely to pieces and the U.S. doesn't have to worry about that like we flattened Raqqa and that's fine you know at um and and so you know there, I think there's more of an incentive to work out deals and you know we, we saw us all over the place in East Aleppo and Duma and Dara, all over that you know that area of Syria. Now there there's an awful lot of Al Qaeda guys that by the way are backed by the U.S. NATO allies Turkey in Idlib Syria, but you know that that did mean not having to to flatten certain areas by by cutting those kind of deals and doing that kind of stuff and oh by the way the u.s actively hindered you know some of those agreements from happening too like isis was i, I think they like cut a deal with isis to move people from palmyra to some other town and since they were moving them in the general direction of the american forces the u.s started dropping bombs to prevent those buses from moving which you, you know I, I, again, I don't know the solution here, but I don't think, you know, Americans pushing red buttons should be the, the you know, deciders of what happens in Syria when they're trying to, you know, deal with a, a war in their country where you have jihadist factions. And, you know, along alongside, although we, you know, like you're, you're mentioning about so much, there is there is really good reporting on on in terms of what uh, what is actually happening there. Um Sorry, I got memory issues. I'm sorry. No, uh, no. Um, I guess the, the the thought that I had in my mind was was going back to the the self defense claim is that that, that we're we're the and this and we're we're there there there's a whole subsection of people in support of the American military and doing and doing these things, the belief that, you know, car carpet bombing them back to the Stone Age is the acceptable needed solution to these things. And it's, it's so far away from the actual reality, you know, like you, you've mentioned a couple times today about the the not the 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 non-terrorist related reasons why somebody would join up with some of these organizations, you know, that that we we want to be able to paint these bad guys in a very specific light and it makes it easier to kill them and to kill their families and i, I feel like i'm out of words to say about it i uh 
Um, and and it's, no, I, go ahead, man. Go I was ahead. just gonna. I mean, it, it's just ugly, you know. And it, it it got ugly because of America got involved in large part. I mean, you know, you could go all the way back to 2012, and you know, uh, Flynn was you know the director of uh, what. I forget intelligence, uh, the director of the intelligence agency, ODNI maybe. And he's, uh, and he's warning, he's saying like all these weapons were pouring into Syria is going to create a caliphate. And so, you know, that's the point where the U S could have like made a decision not to deal with ISIS by not pouring in all those weapons. Once, yeah. you know, ISIS was created, then you have a really ugly situation in Syria. And uh, of course it's in part created by Assad and, and his family's brutal rule for years and years. And, I mean, his father committed awful crimes and, you know, certainly his barrel bombing and stuff like that. But uh, again, at the same time, it, it never would have gotten as ugly as it did in Syria. I, I mean, and you could even roll back to Libya, too. It'd be like, well, yeah, yeah. you know, if we did kick over Gaddafi, it probably wouldn't have been nothing like it was in Syria. But um you, you know, once everything gets as ugly as it is, it's kind of hard to like figure out like what, what to say and what to do about it. Uh, but I just wish, you know, I, I guess, you know, my country would bow out and just, you know, realize that, you know, we've created a, a real, real issue there, but it, it can't be solved with our bombs, especially or our troops. You know what I mean? Like maybe there, maybe there are ways for uh, America or Americans to mitigate some of the problems happening in Syria, uh, lifting sanctions, providing a little bit of aid, although, you know, providing aid is a complicated thing and um, isn't always productive, especially when it goes through some of these international agencies that are more concerned about, you know, stealing money and, and you know, their own geopolitical issues and everything like that. But you know some aid or or other things like that assisting refugees uh all that kind of stuff but you know none that that's not what we're talking about here that's what not what the u.s is is doing anywhere in the world and so that's no. uh you know that's why i at least don't be involved in it and don't be involved in the killing yeah if if people are killing themselves us involving ourselves with more death and destruction which we're really good at is 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 only going to exacerbate whatever crisis that we've we've brought in there and i still think about you know i i when i was in iraq i you know it, it very common sight to see bombed out places you know houses buildings apartment buildings stuff like that um and now i you know even even post you know operation iraqi freedom thinking about how much horrific it is there now I think about, you know, all of the other places I drove past that are just craters, you know, places where people used to live, kids used to play, and people stuck between um, absolutely impossible circumstances. It's, it, 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 it kills me, man. It, it, fuck, it, I, I, I don't even know like, um, what the words would be to say about it. Um, but as you said, and you hit it right on the money, man, is that our bombs, our bullets, our troops, our sanctions, none of it is needed. None of it is, is we're, we're, we're not actively protecting the, uh, America in any way, shape, or form, whether people or land. Um, and I lost my thought there again. <laughs> I mean, you know, this happens like when, when I try to talk about Yemen sometimes, right? When, you know, you're reading these stories about like the family that's, you know, trying to figure out like if they should just buy food for the kids uh, that are in the house and, and hope their kids don't succumb to cholera. Or, you know, take the money that you could buy for food that, you know, taking away from the other kids means that they don't eat. Not that, you know, they have to eat like bologna sandwiches but legitimately that they don't eat or that they're eating like a combination of like food that they scavenge from landfills and boiled down leaves and all this kind of stuff and and you just like what what kind of words can you say how can you describe what it must be like for those parents to like have to live in those conditions and then again like i guess I, I feel like you know to just say i'm not like particularly naive about the world and i understand that like you know poverty is going to exist in some places regardless of what the u.s does but it doesn't have to exist in yemen like it does no uh it but it, it does because of america and and so that's like you know like 
that's the thing that that is just so intolerable. It's hard to find words for is that there's, there's suffering going on for absolutely no reason, really, I guess, other than, you know, the the, like kind of America religious narrative and the, you know, funding that, you know, people get through the military industrial complex and all that. But at the same time, it just seems so stupid to say like, you know, uh, people want to be a few million dollars richer. So we're going to starve uh, Yemeni children to death. And and there's, you, you know, there's a lot of you know gaps in between there and explaining to like how it happens and that allows people to like you know have their cognitive dissidence i'm sure but at the same time like that that is bottom line what's happening and same thing in iraq and syria you know I, i'm sure raytheon was happy as hell every time one of these bombs went off uh because it was another you know few hundred thousand dollars that they were making off of you know selling another one and uh, of course the, the people that they killed uh, i mean even if they were innocent civilians and even if they got quote unquote justice they would like get from the united fraction of, of of the amount of money that the missile that the u.s fired cost right you know we're talking about four or five five thousand dollars uh the u.s would have to kill 50 people to to you know have the equivalent of a hellfire missile and i don't know that just kind of goes to show what we value well i think uh i think that's a good place for us to uh wrap it up for today um kyle thank you so much for coming to chat with me man i i really appreciated your 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 insights and your uh your uh your vision on on topics like this and um Will you remind the good folks where they can find your work and find your podcast? Yeah, so I, I mean, the easiest thing to do is just go to the Libertarian Institute. If you go to the homepage there, my name's on uh, the, the top of it. Uh, if you click Kyle, you'll see all my news roundups and all my shows. Uh, if you you know read one or listen to one and you'll know, know what's happening in most of the wars. And then check out antiwar.com. Of course, the great Dave DeCamp and Jason did. So writing up the news every day, but right under that, you'll find uh, the viewpoints. And so we have you know several original writers, uh, Dub Bandow, Daniel Larison, Scott Horton, Dave DeCamp, Ray McGovern, uh, Danny Scherzian, and so many other great people who write uh, Ted Schneider for antiwar.com. And, you know, uh, and all those viewpoints, yeah, they're, they're down there, you can find them. And uh, yeah, that's what you should check out to follow my work. And thank you so much for having me on. Like I said, uh, I'm a fan of this show. And, uh, you know, may, your audience should subscribe because uh, we'll have to do something in the next few weeks and they can hear you on my show. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. No, uh, I'm, uh, I'm excited about what, uh, the kind of work that we could, we could do together. And I, uh, I think it's going to be great, man. So thanks again for, uh, giving your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We're on Twitter at Fortress on a Hill and also at facebook.com at Fortress on a Hill. You can find our main blog page and our full collection of episodes at www www.fortressonahill.com iTunes, Stitcher Google Podcasts Patreon, Spotify you name it, almost anywhere you listen we're already waiting for you and hey, we're always in the market for more Patreon supporters please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com and if you're not into giving us a monthly payment think about giving us a couple bucks on PayPal the link is in the show notes skepticism is one's best armor Never forget it. You we'll good see you people time. and listen to my song. I hope you'll pay attention. I will not detain.